2: comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Jennifer Gray is the author of Out of the Corner, a memoir. She is best known for her iconic portrayal of Baby opposite Patrick Swayze in the beloved classic Dirty Dancing, which earned her a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress. By the way, I literally saw Dirty Dancing in the theaters seven times when it came out, not to mention the bazillion times I've seen it since. Her numerous film, television, and theater credits span decades, including starring roles in Zoe Trope's sailing masterpiece Wind, singing a duet alongside Madonna in Bloodhounds on Broadway, as a guerrilla fighter in John Millius's Red Dawn her Ace Award-nominated taxi dancer in Peter Bogdanovich's episode of the Showtime series, Fallen Angels. Gray is currently teaming up with Lionsgate on the long-awaited sequel of Dirty Dancing, which she will star in and executive produce, and for which I cannot wait. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so excited to talk
0: about your memoir. I know. I'm so excited to talk about it, too. I'm so excited that you finally got to know what it was I was talking about all that time.
2: Seriously, but I oh my God.
0: to I know. make that happen. It's not easy. I mean, you put so
2: much in. I mean, you just, I mean, it was beautifully done and so much. I see, I mean, sometimes it's hard to find the right container for all the different stories, right? You've had such diverse experiences and with mm-hmm. so many different characters and everything.
0: How do you feel having gotten to the end of this project? It's been so I think it's been one of the best experiences of my life. Kind of like having a baby. Like when you're doing it, you're like, what the hell is going on? And then afterwards you're like, I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is that for me, having never been a writer, I'd written journals as a kid and I had always liked writing, but it was mostly just for myself. And I had this really, really minimal amount of memories, really like scattershot. Is that the expression, scattershot? Yeah. It was just not, there was not a lot of, I didn't have a contiguous through line. I just had these like slides of memories. I mean, it was never like, this happened then that happened and that happened. It was more like, well, let me just get down on my computer with these two fingers because i don't even type <laughs> like these two you know a few fingers da, 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 really slowly which made me actually take my time because of how slow i am with a computer that i would just try to get what i knew out and once i got what i knew out then i would just put it aside and then i would just get the next thing that i could remember and they were very much i have a very synesthetic memory My memories are not who made dinner and who played with me. It was more like I remember the texture of the corduroy, the ribbing on the corduroy dress in that photograph. Or I remember the texture of the wallpaper that was silver with kind of matte, chalky white design on it. I was like, well, that's not going to make a very good book. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, "Uh, okay. And then I would, so I would just do it in little dreamlike, just little snapshots. And then I almost felt like it started to meet me. The book started to like give me more. And like I remember when I was first thinking, maybe I should try writing. I read the Anne Lamott book, The Bird mm-hmm. by Bird, and she talks about school lunches. Do you remember that? Sort of, yes. She would say, start with what you had in your school lunch. And I'd be like, oh. And then you're concentrating on this really really minute detail and then it almost opens up like I picture it like a pomegranate and in my head my brain my memory bank are just all of those little pods and they're all juicy and they're all intact they're all mashed together and that's how I just see it and all of a sudden I would just like pod by pod (laughs) like bird by bird I would just I would notice things being revealed to me without me pushing on the door. And then I would get excited by the fact, well, I remember I would sit with my dad doing his makeup and I would go on the matinee. And I remember it like it was yesterday, though I can't tell you what I had for dinner yesterday. (laughs) I remember the smell. I could remember exactly what the lighting, I could feel it. I could feel where the doorway was, where the people would come in. And yet I can't remember so many things. So I just tried to let myself be as odd and stop judging and and deciding it was odd. Just say, well, let's just see what we have and stop pushing on it. And as soon as I stopped pushing on it, I would also say to myself, well, what else? doesn't have to be related, just what else? Well, I remember, oh, that was bad. Okay, I at that. <laughs> but how did that happen? I don't know. But that, I remember being in Rio and how that happened. I'm like, what did your parents say? I don't remember, but this I do remember. I remember the wild dogs on Ipanema Beach. And then I found a little scrap of, and then I had all these diaries that I was reading to refresh my memory. And I would see like notes and saying, like a note that I never sent to the guy that I went away with saying, and how could you have just let me like, let me just throw up on the side of the road. And I was like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> and I was like, that was that's really bad. And so I thought, did, I mean, like, there's you go like, did I imagine this? This is so terrible. And also so amazing. Because I've had such amazing great fortune. And such a, like, lightning in a bottle. Good luck. And then bizarre, surreal turns of events that I can't find anyone who could share that experience with me. So does
2: that answer your question? That answered my question. Yeah. It's crazy about memory, the short-term versus mm-hmm. the long-term. And I feel like I've gotten to the point where friends of mine will tell me a story and, I, and then, it but it won't come back. Like it used to be that they'd remind me of something we all did and I would remember it. And now I'm like, nope, just don't have that memory at all. It's that like, happens too. Oh but my then gosh. all of a sudden
0: I can, they can, like, I can all of a sudden think about, like the party in East Hampton where everyone was, you know, making out and everyone was getting stoned. And I can just, all of a sudden I could hear the crinkle of the Pepperidge Farm paper mm-hmm. that was all pleated. Yep. Would sit all, I love that. <laughs> you know, where like, I could, I could feel like the tin of the banana cake with the buttercream frosting. Yep. Right. And how yep. moist it was. And just, and then bending, I could feel the bending. Oh, totally. Right? Nobody does it like Sara Lee. Right. No, nobody does it like. Oh, nobody doesn't
2: like. Yes, exactly. (laughs)
0: Nobody doesn't like Sara Lee. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We had those all the time in the freezer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That makes me want to get one right now
0: and put it. Right? I don't know. I
2: feel like there used to be all these products that all of us shared in addition to like Mm -hmm. shared entertainment and everything. And now there's. Well,
0: you know. The, I think we have more connectivity because we all know you're soaking in it or we all know plop, plop, fizz, fizz, because yes. we, don't, we had no choice about we were forced to watch the same commercials because we were forced to watch a limited amount of shows. Yep. And it was either that or do your homework yes. or write your diary or practice your you know, recorder. It was just like there, yes. <laughs> you never had to be you had to be bored in order to watch, you know, that awful American, what was it called? Animal Kingdom. Yes. Yule Gibbons. Like, oh, that was so depressing. (laughs) But it made connectivity between us because there was one movie that would come out that summer. Yes. Butch Cassidy or whatever it was. And we all saw the same thing. And now everyone sees everything and they Mm -hmm. see whatever they want all day long. It's just I don't know. I do sound like an old lady. Like, no, like
2: no, I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And it was such a particular generation. I feel like even just like mm-hmm. even 10 years younger than me, it's not the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in your memoir, you know, one of the things I was so struck by was just how, despite all the love in your life, how just on your own, you seem to be mm-hmm. like without anybody like Catching you when you were falling. Like mm-hmm. that, you're the Johnny Carson moment for me, and the dress. And then I know it's not the end of the world wearing the same prostitute for but just how fragile you are literally, like basically broken and not even mm-hmm. realizing it. And then having to be thrust into all these situations and just who was mm-hmm. like taking care of you? You know, how mm-hmm. do you get o- over that? And obviously, you made it through and all of that, but you know. I just, I don't know, my heart just kind of went out to you. You think that in these moments, they're like the best moments of someone's life, and yet it could be the exact
0: opposite. Well, especially because I, 10 days before I had just been in the car accident, Yeah. I would think that I would have extra special kid gloves. Yes. And a lot of people showing up and offering me clothes or lending me money or taking me shopping. There was, a, it was culturally the generational shift of what it was like to be a mom and dad in those days was very different obviously I mean my parents were we were super close super close almost too close almost too all over me right which created the individuating rebellion that had to ensue to just it's the natural course of things you know goes from child to adult um, but my parents when they would go to Europe they would go for weeks, maybe. And they would be like, we're going to call Collect on Sunday nights. Be home. You know, I was like, okay. Then we'd wait for the call and we'd get the call. But they would, like, come back. They would do little, like, let's, you know, stand on this and we'll put um, an outline on your foot so we can get you shoes. (laughs) And they'd come back with, like, presents from Italy or whatever, little matchbooks from the Gritty Palace or whatever. But there was a lot of them doing their own thing, doing, which was really considered... They weren't even socialites the way some of my other friends were socialites, but they had a big career and they went away on vacations without us. And I was, you know, taking the bus to school. I was starting probably in very early in grade school, like for third grade, I would take the Crosstown bus and then I'd take the Fifth Avenue bus to go to the Fleming School. So it was considered, I remember being walked to the bus the first few times, getting my bus pass. You know, and just traveling the city by myself as a kid. I have
2: to say, though, I think the buses must have been different. Like, I took the bus everywhere, too. We all took the bus, but like the buses were filled with all the kids going to school. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's the same thing. You know, the bus pass, I was like, what color is know. it going to be this been, month? I
0: haven't been on a <laughs> bus around school time for a long time. Okay. Well, I'm but, just telling you, the kids, most of the kids, well, I shouldn't say that. It's not, anyway. But I whatever. took the subway when I was going to the United Nations school. I would take, the Lexington Avenue subway. And that was, a, that was gnarlier.
2: Yeah, I can be yeah. really
0: young. And I remember being like scared. And, but it was it was we were much more, I mean, nobody had cell phones. When I went to Europe as a teenager, I just had maybe $200 of traveler's checks and that's it. No mm-hmm. credit card, no cell phone. It was much more the norm at the time to not hear from your parents or them to hear from you for a long period of time. And it wasn't out of lack of love; it was just normal. And in a way, it created a resilience in me and uh, an independence in me. Even though to this day, I lit just you know deeply attached to my parents. Like they're both alive; they're both ninety, and I'm just like I talk to them every day.
1: Aww. I just can't imagine
0: my life without them. And as a kid, I lived in terror of anything happening to my parents. So super bound to them, super dependent on them. But there was a thing in me that was I could handle myself. I mm-hmm. could handle myself. I mean I took night trains in Europe by myself. And I mean I don't know. I, I didn't even know where I was going. I was like, I think I'll go to the South of France. and I would just go on <laughs> like I get on like look on the train schedule and get on the train and not know where I'm going. i am get to Saint Tropez. Where should I stay? I didn't know anybody, no friends there. Like, that's pretty. I don't know. I just can't imagine. Yeah. Different. My child knowing it's just different. It was a time when yes. travel was different and it was, it didn't feel like we didn't know we could have a phone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there was the pensione with the one, you know, with the ring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and you're like, hi, I'm OK. I've got more travelers. Say more job. OK, I'll see you. I'm good. Bye. <laughs>
2: I do think I mean part of the attachment or the like intense worry about something happening to your parents. I feel like that's so classic anxiety stuff, right? Which you well, talk I'm about.
0: Well, I'm very I'm very classic anxiety stuff, as you can tell from my book. Yes, but and and you real I mean you you would you talk about it? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, <laughs> but I didn't know it. I didn't yeah. know what it was. Well, because we didn't talk about that kind of stuff then. I knew there were people who had depression, but I didn't have that, and I didn't know there was any medicine for me. I didn't know I had ADHD. I didn't know I had anxiety. I didn't know that I had auditory processing. And I was like, just like, you know, okay, just going to make this work. Just what do I have to do to get through this? Yeah. Because it was the wild west compared to now, right? So true.
2: I think it's so interesting that you had all these fears and also, you know there's this whole movement of your body keeps the score and all this stuff and how your body can internalize things mm-hmm. and here you are living life with this chronic pain right, that's mm-hmm. not addressed for so long and i know a lot of it was exacerbated or perhaps just totally caused by the accident but the amount and then how you described it in such detail in the book and the operations and just the deterioration of the vertebrae and all how much pain that scene in the shower where you were on your bed like you couldn't the nerve damage. I, I don't know. I mean, that was so intense. What was it like to relive it as you wrote about it, and how do you feel now? Well, just
0: have, talking about it makes my neck tight. No,
2: oh, I sorry. Mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm
0: kidding. I, you know, I have very, very special. Uh, I take very special care of my spine now, and I know that there are certain things I can and can't do, but there are certain things I must do. Like I must, exercise. like if my head's like this too long, I have to pull it back. I know that I have to move that if I don't move, things really get really spasmy. So I just treat myself like you know, if I was a diabetic, I'd have to shoot myself with insulin. So it's just one of those things that I've learned to care for, oh, I'm not good in that. I can't. If I'm sitting in a restaurant, I can't sit like this for the or If I would took a plane airplane ride with you, I would have to switch seats halfway through if we were talking. Because I can't just sit this, I have to then sit this way. So it's kind of just like special needs that you just start to understand what it needs. But the idea of chronic pain is really so debilitating because it's like a frog in the water and it's just, you don't know it's getting hotter until you're too weak to jump out. But you could have jumped out, but it just is incremental. So your world just gets smaller and smaller and you start just accommodating all of these things to try to figure out how to get out of pain because pain is our biggest teacher, right? It just tells us what we need. And it usually, for me, it's a really great barometer to know if I'm anxious or unhappy about something and not expressing it. Like I'll just start to feel it. And I'll be like, Oh, what are you trying to tell me? Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, was that, what am I? There's that Sarno book. I actually saw Dr. Sarno and he's like, you're next fine. You're angry. I'm like, well, now I'm angry. I've just waited like a year to get in with you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but what he talks about is really interesting, which is if you are what he has, he calls a good, if you're a good or a pleaser or somebody who thinks about other people's needs ahead of your own, you're more likely to have this particular, he has a name for it, whatever this thing is. And what happens is you're not allowed to be mad. You're not allowed, you're, you're, you're basically trained to not have needs, not be angry, Otherwise, the love will be taken away. And so what happens is if you are mad or you're angry, instead of feeling it or expressing, which which is too threatening for your system, you know, your family system or your whatever your ecosystem is that you're swimming in, that if you start, if you're a migraine sufferer, let's say, or if you have a neck issue, instead of going, oh, I've got a bad neck. Because if I say, oh, I've got a migraine, you'll say, oh, go lay down.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'll
0: never have to tell you I'm mad. But if he says, if you say to your body, if you say to yourself, oh, I'm feeling this feeling, what am I mad about? Nothing. Well, if you were mad at anything, what could you be mad at? Nothing. Everything's fine. Pick one thing you could be mad at. Blah blah, blah, blah. You know, the fact that I had to, okay, go into that feeling. You don't even have to say it to the person, just making it conscious can literally change the way that oxygen is sent to that section of your brain, your stomach, your, you know, nervous, anything, whatever your thing is becomes like, um, what's it called? Like a, you know, the, well, what's when it? it's psychosomatic. Uh, you no, no, it's not psychosomatic because it's physical, but when it's a scapegoat. Oh, oh uh, so okay. what happens is you don't have to get mad. You can say, Oh, I'm just really have a terrible migraine. And then everyone's nice to you because you're injured. Mm. So now, you're, it, that it literally changes the way oxygen is sent to that spot. Don't you think that's interesting? I find so if, that fascinating. Yes. So if I have a chronic problem, of like I have a bad back, I have a bad. Well, I could say like, there's a lot that I was never aware of being angry about, because I like, who would love me if I was angry? Who would be able to, you know, tolerate my displeasure or disappointing them? And then you realize you've put yourself in this little. Corner, if you will, and then you're living your life in corners because you're not really free to be you and me, the way Marla Thomas said. <laughs> like you're not free to have feelings that are unpopular or to disappoint people, or not, you know, put everyone ahead of yourself. And then you, of course, you're mad. It's just there's no balance to that. So I don't know. if That's a long-winded answer, but I something I found that. that totally
2: interesting. And I have, but you feel free to cut it out. <laughs> I'm not cutting it out. Are you kidding? I'm about to go try that with somebody in my orbit who, who, who does this frequently. So yeah, all I feel you like need I'm going to do try say, this. To give
0: yourself, what, if you were mad about something, what would it be? Mm-hmm. Just, you have to pick something. And then is the more you experience and feel it, you watch the brain, not have to divert to your weak spot, which is legit. Because you
2: have a problem that's been legitimized by a doctor. Wow. Let me know how it goes. I I will. I'll I'll report back. I'll report back. It's, (laughs) It's excellent.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: dot com slash moms don't have time. But I loved reading about your becoming a mother and how that changed your approach to life and your feelings about your daughter and what that was like. So just tell me a little more about that and even what it was like writing about it and just some of the joy and how that moment shifted everything.
0: Well, actually, before when you were asking me how it felt to revisit the accident and all the pain and the surgeries and stuff, it was hard. Mm -hmm. because it's, you go back into the scene in order to try to remember everything you can remember. And it's painful. And then when I looked at the parts in which I betrayed myself by not fighting for my career, not fighting, Mm -hmm. allowing people to treat me in ways that I wished I had known better, Mm -hmm. that regret of being so empathetic to the fact that that I felt so, I didn't feel like I had a right to pursue my dream. That to be a good person means that I would have to subjugate, sub, what's the word, Uh, subjugate? No, um, I would have to capitulate for, to serve the master of whatever that person is. Usually a man, usually a parent, usually a person that I've just been wired to serve. And all of a sudden, When I got to the good part of getting to write about having my daughter, it was like going on vacation. It was like, oh, that's what I had to go all through all that for. Because all of the stuff that I thought I wanted, all the whether it was fame, money or recognition or people to love me or not put me in the corner, whatever the thing was that I was had no I had no. Capacity to change certain things. I felt so stunted and shunted and every other unted that I could (laughs) think of. And I got pregnant and I was just, it was literally like I was released. I was released and I knew that there was no place that I would rather be. I knew there was no job more important. I wasn't jealous of anyone. I wasn't sad I met this beautiful man who was doing this with me and was like showing up and I just loved being pregnant. I loved feeling like that's all I need to do right now and I had the luxury of not having to do a crappy job at the same time and that I got to luxuriate in recognizing. I almost didn't make it. I was 41 when I gave birth and I got pregnant like that naturally. And I didn't even think that that was that special because I was in so much denial about the realities. And then, you know, having it be scary that maybe she wasn't okay. And then I realized I don't care about anything else. Mm -hmm. I don't care about anything else. Just make my baby okay. And to this day, I'm just, I'm still trying to get a little bit more (laughs) me-centric, but it's like really intense because the love and the... Amount of how important it feels that I give her everything that I in my power so that she can have a good life to the best of my ability because there's so much out of my hands, but that I've done a good job. And it's a job that you never can do perfectly, which is really infuriating, is always something I'm not doing perfectly. And that just should that'll learn me. It's the hardest job to do well, isn't it? Consistently, it is
2: it is impossible. And yet there is always the next day to try again. I
0: feel like that's the saving (laughs) grace. Right. And there's no end to those chances. And the fact that I literally be like, today's the day I'm (laughs) going to conquer naps or whatever it is. I'm going to get her to get that second nap. Damn it. Or whatever it is. Right. And then they get older and you're like, wow, my job's almost done here. This is intense. Yes. And and then you realize how little control you have over any of it, that they're just this soul on their own doing their thing and on their journey. And just like my parents tried their best and did a great job, same will She'll be writing some book about me. And I would have said like, wow, man, I really tried just like they did. (laughs) And I did better. And then she'll do better than me. That's just evolution in my opinion. Have you talked with her about your book? Has she read it? So. I was living with her during the pandemic when I was in earnest writing every day because I'd started a couple of years ago, but once the pandemic hit, she all I was doing was working. And so I would say, hey, can I read you something? Can I read you something? And she'd be like, okay. And I'd see her be like, okay, how long is it? And I'd be like, just a paragraph. And, she, and it was always like, I was squeezing out yeah. a few more. You know, like, it's just a paragraph and I don't want her to see. I'm reading really fast, you know? <laughs> And she'd be like, wow, that's great. That's great. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then at the end, I said, I really want you to read it. I really feel like I want you to, because I wrote it pretty much for me, but also for her, mm-hmm. because I feel like what they, I believe, this is my opinion, that I don't know how much you talk about epigenetics or you understand about epigenetics, but. There is so much, in my opinion, expressed genetically, unsaid things that they perceive more than what we tell them. And that if I could give her any more insight or understanding, because she didn't know me as a Mm -hmm. girl. She didn't know me as a struggling actress. She didn't know me really getting beat up in the romantic world, in my adventures. She didn't know. That each time I was landing on my feet, you know, a little bit lighter, you know, the cost was great, but that I could continuously learn, continuously get better. She wouldn't know that part of me. So I thought any way I can show her what is in her mm. from, you know, in her genes expressed, the trauma that's expressed in her genes and the anxiety and all these things, as well as the incredible great stuff I have and the great stuff that my ex-husband has, you know, the other day, So what happened was she said, I don't want to read it until I get the hard copy book because, you know, I like to underline and annotate and mm-hmm. I want to annotate and I want the real thing because that's the book I want to give to my kids. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> so the other day she started annotating, underlining. And then she texted me, I'm so proud of you, Mama. And I was like, why? Aww. And then she showed me a picture. she just moved into her own first apartment. And she showed me, took a picture of my book sitting at her bedside table. She said, you have so much grace. I, I said, honey, what? <laughs> it was like the best day of my life. And she said, I just can't believe that you know how to write a book that you wrote. No, she didn't say, she said, I just can't believe how good your book is and how much grace you have. And I said, well, here's the thing, honey, everything that I have is in you. Oh. And everything amazing about your dad is also in you. Because She's grown up with two famous parents and that's, you know, having grown up the child of a famous actor, I know that it is, it comes with its own pressure and burden of like, will I ever get to be what they were cuz you know it just looks like fairy tale if you if you're a kid right how did that happen and so i said because she is so much like me and so much like my ex-husband she's i said you cuz she's a writer she wants to be an actor she's you know pursuing it and i said please start writing because the best thing you could do is to be able to write material for yourself to act in And not be waiting for someone to give you permission to do what you love. And she's like, I know, I know, I know. I said, I'm telling you everything that I am. You could do anything I have and better. Same with your dad. You've got really talented. You've got a dad who can write and direct and act and is charming and smart and curious. All of that's in you. I just Mm -hmm. think it's cool to, to know. I can see it in her. There's no reason she shouldn't have whatever it is that she decides makes her happy.
2: I love that. I love the image of your book on her bedside with her notes in it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's like the dream, right? And to have her be so positive. Oh, my gosh. It's, I mean, you may have had a lot of bad days of parenting, but I feel like that is the score at the end when you can get mm-hmm. to a moment like that. It's like, you know what? It didn't matter about the two naps,
0: right? Because here you are. No, it's all about the helicopter shot, you know. It's just like we pull up and we just look and we go, not too shabby. Like this morning, I, my dad finally got the book I was asking them to send it to him, and he's like, "Why haven't I gotten it yet?" I called him this morning because he got COVID the other day. Oh no! He hasn't none of us have had it? My ex-husband just got it. My dad just got it right after his ninetieth birthday, and I just blew oh him. no, so excited to see him. And he so the book arrived just in time, so he's home isolating and. He was so sweet this morning. He was like, my God, you're writing. And I was like, I can't believe I've lived to have this moment. Like everyone else can say it's shite, but my dad, I just can't. Yeah. So I've been very protective of it because it's so scary. And I just didn't want to have too many voices in my head. I really tried as well as I could to write my story without and also being so mindful and so concerned about hurting other people or anyone else misunderstanding it and just knowing that this is just my story as I deserve to tell it because it's my life but it's not it's not me speaking for anyone else it's just what I remember and memory can be faulty but I tried my very best to just say what happened from my perspective
2: I love it. And the love you felt for your family, it totally came through. I mean, <laughs> it really, it really did. It was, it was amazing. Congratulations. I'm so glad you read it. Oh yeah. I read every word. I really, I I couldn't get enough. I was like, couldn't believe some of the stuff you'd been through the adventures. I mean, I felt like I went on the wildest ride. I it was, it was fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The, the highs, the lows, the trips that, you know, your life it, and now everybody gets to to be in your shoes. And oh my gosh. Anyway, well, well done. Great job. <laughs> Congratulations. You. I hope Thank you get you. everything you want out of this whole journey of publication. And- um, it's
0: kind of there. I mean, to me, the writing of it was so, such a Herculean effort for me. And the fact that I did it myself. Mm-hmm. And that I have this wonderful editor named Barbara Jones, who I hired the last few months. And we just, did we just did really days hours just on zoom never in person and she just helped shape it and i just know i can't believe i did it it's a little like a dream so i kind of feel like the rest of it's you know icing I on the cake well still all right well thank I'm you i'm so, so much. happy that you read it and i'm so glad to be here with you and congratulations on princess charming oh thank you <laughs> how
2: do you feel oh it's so fun I love my kids are so a part of everything I've been mm-hmm. putting my older daughter in the princess charming costume saw, and bringing her. I oh saw. my gosh I'm like that's my daughter in there so um what is that exactly like oh it's great she's having a blast you know the book was really about her so the fact that mm-hmm. she's there literally in the costume about the book that's really about her it's also like meta it's and, so, I was gonna say it's so meta right it's yeah so mm-hmm. but it's been it's been great but thank you for mentioning so
0: <laughs> well I'm excited for you I can't wait to see it thank you all right well thank you for coming on mom's no time to read books and um, uh, it's a pleasure I'm just so happy to see you on your podcast instead of in person yes you and too. thank you for being so generous to me when I was feeling so ah, i lost that man time. when you're out there before you figure it out like I don't know it was just a, a thinking back on it it's just a lot's happened but it was all there I just was like now it's done totally get it
2: Yeah. (laughs) All right. Enjoy your time here. Okay. Bye. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And, of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. How Hold up.